Well, it is a joy and privilege and honor to be with you today. I've been looking so forward to this. And as I reflect back, um, in 98, my husband and I got married, and we too met in Bible college training and preparing for full-time vocational local church ministry. And I remember we had just started at a, at a church on staff. I was a children's pastor. He was the Compassionate Ministries pastor, and we had this kind of deal where I would be mobilized for people in the seat to empower them on the street, and he would get people off the street and bring them into the seat. And that was kind of how our callings complemented one another. I thought it worked great. Well, then he came home and said, you know, I really feel like I'm supposed to pursue seminary. And I thought, oh, okay, I thought this was the path we were going, but okay, where are we going? And lo and behold, across our newlywed little kitchen table came a packet from Wilmore, Kentucky, and the name of the seminary was Asbury Theological Seminary. We had never stepped foot in Kentucky. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, big city. He's from Little Bern, Indiana, a farming community, and here we end up in Wilmore, Kentucky. And so as the Lord would have it, we come for a, a visit, and we stay in 2000, we stay in what is now called the Asbury Inn and Suites. It was really different back then. And I remember we, it was rotary phones back then, landlines, and we picked up the phone to order some food or something. And I remember we sat on the edge of the bed, and then we went to our knees in prayer. And the Lord met us in that little room of Asbury Inn and Suites in 2000 and said, it's time. It's time for you to follow me here. This place is so significant to our story. So we came, and I joined staff at um, Southland Christian Church, uh, go into local church work, my vibe, my, my heartbeat, and he starts in seminary. And it wasn't long before he came to me and said, okay, one more move. I said, okay. And he says, I think there's something else to our call. So we pack up and we go work at a mission called Refuge for Men. Little did we know that that was going to be a place where we were not just serving, but we were learning a model of ministry that we would be later called back to implement. So our journey truly is one of remove, relocate, replant. And so we get called back to Kentucky and Southland calls us back and asks him to be one of the care pastors and asks me to be the women's ministries director. And so we both heed those calls. At this time, we have a couple little kiddos. And I remember, as any good leader would, I supervised a team. And one of the, one of the ladies on the team said, I need for you to learn about my mission. It's called Bruised Reed. And I thought, okay, as any good leader should, we should probably assess the fruitfulness and effectiveness of this ministry initiative, so let me hear it. She said, we take meals into strip clubs. And I said, oh, okay, okay. And she said, and I want, I want to train you, and I want you to come with me. You need to know about this work. I said, okay. So here I am with my 9 by 13 very hot pan of lasagna. The bouncer at one of the clubs opens the door, and my world has changed forever. I go in, and it's as though I know what's going on. The sights, the sounds, the smoke, it's all chaotic, it's all dark, but it's as though I'm holding this pan of lasagna, trudging through the thickness of the fog of despair and darkness, and the Lord just 
fogs and fades what's going on around me. It's like in my peripheral, I know what's happening, but he blinds me to that and laser focuses me and locks me into these women's foreheads. And on their foreheads are words like lost, lonely, broken, helpless, despondent. And it's hitting me like a wave and I just need to drop the pan of lasagna and bolt. But no, I put the pan of lasagna down and start to have these conversations with these women. I come home and I'm completely undone. You can't unsee those things. Now I'm aware. Now I must do something. And so we take this collision of what she, the mission she started, the work we were just a part of, it's a residential men's ministry to rebuild their lives. We start to put our collective heads and hearts around this and realize we were called back to Kentucky to start a mission, not refuge for men, refuge for women. It was as though we began to see these women need a place to leave. When they want out, where do they go? There was nothing back then. So in 2009, we start Refuge for Women. And it meant one of us was going to have to hop out of local church work. And we had to give this our full-time focus. So Ked, being the crazy, radical faith guy, he took the lead and I stayed back. And I stayed in a, a kind of accumulation of, of years. I was on staff as a local church pastor for over 25 years, putting it all together. And in this last year, um, the Lord radically changed my assignment. And I will say... Uh, I went to Bible college to study and train and prepare to be a local church pastor, not a nonprofit outside the walls leader. I had no prior training for what the Lord asked of me over this last year, only that the Lord was extending an invitation to me to join him and follow him in this new assignment. I'm what you would call un unconventional, a fish out of water, walking in great amounts of faith, and an assignment that I'm completely outsized for. But I will tell you, the mission of Jesus is the combination of his message and his methods. And when we say yes to him, it is yes to the assignment at hand. And my assignment changed in this last year. And I want to share this with you because this has literally been, over this last year, a, a Romans 10 kind of journey. And it says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so what I've learned over 25 years of full-time local church ministry and over the last year of leading Refuge for Women, Kentucky, here's a few things I'm learning. As we train, study, and prepare for ministry. Anybody else in the room doing that? As we train, study, and prepare for ministry, maybe, just maybe, I would love to challenge us to maybe have this banner over our callings. Lord, I commit to you that I will be interruptible. Lord, I commit to you that I will live a life of faith. Lord, I commit to you that I will stay connected to your heart. Lord, I commit to you to keep the lost, the least, and the broken as my daily why. Lord, I commit to you that I will start my day in abiding with you. I will recognize that I'm always outmatched for the assignment. I commit to you, Lord, that I will consecrate my calling. It's your calling for my life. 
Lord, I commit to you that I will surrender to the sending assignment. One of the most powerful encounters I've had in the last year are when a sweet little women's soccer team asked if they could make care packages for our residents. I said, absolutely. So they all loaded up in their, their van, their coach brought them, and they had all these, we serve about 20 to 22 women every day, 24 seven, it's amazing. And so here they come with their little care packages and they all were carrying one and the first stop was our emergency house. We serve women right out of trafficking situations. And so they take the bags in. Why well, I, I warned them, you know, we may not be able to go in and that's okay. They're still grateful that you came. Well, they wanted these young ladies to come in. So the young ladies ever so sheepishly walked into the emergency house with their bags and one of our residents had just come to us and she had just been through the most violent act and she couldn't even see out of one eye. And she said to me, Miss Michelle, I said, yes, honey. She said, could I tell, could I tell these girls something? I said, you, you sure can. And she, you know, kind of <clears throat> did, that, did that notion and she sang. And she sang his eyes on the sparrow. You could hear a pin drop in that kitchen. A room full of residents, some staff, and a group of high school soccer girls. It was silent. She sang. And when she got to the part, and I sing because I'm she couldn't say it. She started crying. She got choked up. This soccer team just watched. One of our staff members finished the song. She took the rest of the song and finished it for her. It was powerful. And I, in that moment, thought, this is the mission of Jesus. This is the combination of his message and his methods. We are all being trained and prepared for a great work called an assignment by God, which is couched in the form of a calling. And we don't ever know that maybe, just maybe, 25 years of, in one way, he might ask us to go a new way. What I learned in that moment was this. His light permeates dark places. His love invades desperate spaces. And I know for us, our work is not finished until every woman being trafficked and sexually exploited finds freedom at the highest level of restorative care and finds hope for their future. We're on a mission to see women find hope, freedom, and a future to see them reached, rescued, and restored. And one of those women I'd love for you to hear from now. Most of my life I felt shame, like there was something wrong with me, who I was as a person, and that at any minute people were gonna find out that I just didn't belong.
My childhood was chaotic. My parents had a lot going on. Um, my dad was you know, in and out, um, always into drugs and kind of lived a rock and roll style lifestyle. And um, my mom always had her own life going on and I felt abandoned. I felt like I was disposable. I was sexually abused and introduced to pornography when I was four and that led me to believe that I didn't have control over my body, that I wasn't allowed to have a say in what happened to me physically. As I got older, I didn't value myself. I kind of felt like I'd been stripped of my value or that I hadn't been born with any. Um, I believed these ideas that when I could find value, it came from a desirability um, and that love was shown through sexual touch. So I spent the next 15 years of my life trying to create this sense of value in myself that I really believed could only be accomplished through being wanted and being desired sexually and it led me into working in the sex industry and working in prostitution and porn and just robbed me of any sense of value that I had left that just put this despair in my heart that led me to the answer seeming like ending my life was the best thing for me. I'd been told about this place for four or five years from my family at Mission, um, and I just decided like, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to try things your way, and I'm ready to listen. And I had come to this fork in the road where I had decided that either I was going to do things this way or and try God's way and try getting help or I was just going to kill myself and just be done and at that point I just kind of decided like I couldn't live this way anymore and I needed something more so after 20 years of feeling like I was never enough, feeling like I was a secondary character in my own life. I was given the gift of being able to go and live amongst these women that for the next year just loved me. And my beliefs were just counteracted. Everything that I had told myself and, and that I had put myself in situations to where other people could tell me those same lies was being proven to not be true by the way that these women were caring for me. And as I came to believe that God was who he says he was, that with that came the acceptance that if this is true, then I must be who God says that I am. And with that came the understanding that God calls me beloved. Like he calls me redeemed. He 
calls me pure despite anything that was done to me or that I've done to myself that I could have this new start and this new relationship where I could find my identity and who he said I was and that this time my he could be Christ and he called me new and he told me that my sins were washed white as snow and that the old was gone and that the new was here and as far as the east is from the west he'd forgotten everything that I had done so growing up I shared this love of horses with my mom and we didn't share a whole lot um, it was like this part of my childhood that hadn't been tainted by the abuse that I'd gone through and what amazes me is how personal God has been in my journey of healing and he's put me in this in this position where I work in a ministry that uses horses and every day I get to come out here and I get to spend time with them and I'm able to continue having that safe place and I'm able to give that experience to other people and help them you know feel those same feelings of honesty and purity with the interactions that they're able to have with these horses that has just been such a gift and is continuing to help me as I move on in healing and I move on in just trying to live this life as a much loved child of God. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's powerful. things I want to share with you before we wrap up. Your calling has major kingdom implications. And your preparation has great purpose. All of us have been called to be salt and light. All of us have been given an assignment by God for God. And all he asks is that we be faithful with that, steward that, be eyes wide open, hands wide open, and feet that are consecrated to be sent. The calling isn't for us, it's for others. But he wants to involve us. He invites us. That's an honor. And much like the beautiful prayer that that Ben brought, it's not easy. There are days you may wonder, is this still a good idea? You know, we went on a race with one of our um, residents, one of our great volunteers was doing a run for refuge in Washington, D.C., and we brought a resident, and she was running for her, and um, 
this volunteer had gone through a tragic, tragic, tragic divorce, and she was running in her pain. She was running for, for, one, of our, for one of our residents, and I remember at mile 16, she looked disheveled. I'm not a runner, only if someone chases me, so I can't understand why people run. I think it's great and healthy, but we are running for Wesley Waddle, though, so you can walk too, I heard. But I remember at mile 16, she was shuffling her feet. Her head was downcast. You could tell she was exhausted. And we were standing on the, on the side of the, of the race, and there was somebody holding a sign at mile 16, and it said, this is still a good idea. Uh, and I was like, yeah. And, and she saw us, and she came alive, and she threw her fist in the air. Like, I'm spicy and spunky. She really is spicy and spunky. She threw her fist in the air, and she just took off and had a renewed sense of energy and strength. And I feel like that is for somebody today. You might feel like you're at mile 16 and you're calling, but I want to, you to hear today it's still a good idea. We need you. We need you to get trained and prepared and equipped. We need you to say yes to the Spirit's invitation to join him in his work. It's so important. And now I have such a beautiful seat to be able to bring in the church and bring in those in deep, dark places. My, one of my favorite scenes is watching one of our awesome volunteers who is a deeply rooted and anchored woman of God teaching a new resident the word. Are you kidding me? The collision of that? I'm undone. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He really and truly wants us to have feet that will be sent to whoever, whenever. As I close with this, in August, um, I had an opportunity to be a part of something that I'd never been a part of, and it was a multi-state sting operation with law enforcement. And we were positioned in Bowling Green. And Obviously, our emergency house is very raw. We receive women right off the streets that are being trafficked, but this was even a step before that. They were in an active trafficking situation, and so that night I was paired with a detective of, of law enforcement, and she and I were working on this sting operation, and we, they brought a woman to us that was just rescued and spent three to four hours at a hotel room with this young lady. And she ended up coming to our emergency house. And I would have never thought my feet would have led me to something like that. But again, I'm so grateful that it did. And that was a powerful moment in partnership with law enforcement. And then last week, being able to speak with the Attorney General at a press conference to again, use whatever platforms we be, were given to point women to hope, help, and healing and partner with the state of Kentucky. The Lord's continuing to expand the work around this state. And it takes all of us doing our unique part in faithfulness to see women come to experience that hope and that healing. So I ask us today, what time is it for you?
What time is it for you? Is it a get ready time? A time of equipping? I tell our team all the time and I tell our volunteers, anybody that will listen, what's in your hand? Plus a need, plus Jesus, equals kingdom impact. We all have something different in our hand. So what time is it for you? Is it a get ready time? Is it a time of equipping? Do you sense that's where you're at right now? Or is it a get set time? Is it a time for preparing? You know you're about to be sent. And maybe you're embracing it. Maybe you're fighting it. But is it a get set time, a time for preparing? Or maybe today is it a time for moving? It's go time. I know and I found in my journey that it's, for me, it's a lot less about how and a lot more about now. What time is it for you? Get ready, time of equipping, get set, time of preparing, or go, time for moving. I want to encourage you to be faithful, to steward well what you've been entrusted. And if renewal and rededication of that calling is needed, then do it. (laughs) But just know you've been given beautiful feet, that every one of us have been called and sent to be salt and light. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this special, special time as a family around your heart, around your mission. Lord, I pray today that all of us would sit in your presence and allow you to excavate and show us what it is that you're inviting us into to come alongside of you. Even if we don't feel qualified or ready, Lord, I pray you'd find us faithful. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you, God, that it fills our mind, it rules our heart, and it guides our feet. We want you to know that you will find feet that will be sent. Lord, we want nothing more than to be salt and light. Lord, we want you to invade dark places and your love to invade desperate spaces. Send us, Lord. Send us. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your precious and powerful and holy name we pray these things. Amen.